Thank you for joining us for this message from Cornerstone Community Church in Lynchburg, Virginia. And now let's join our guest speaker. Starts with, it said that God poured lavishly his love upon us. How many of you know uh, the, uh, when you get a real understanding of what the gospel is? See, we're all sinners. In fact, the scripture says the heart is desperately wicked above all, all understanding or comprehension. In other words, at the seed of man is sin. And what God did is he said, and while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. In other words, God loved you before you loved him. He loved you when you were at your worst, and he will continue to love you. So it says he lavishly poured his love upon you. And see, when a person gets a revelation of God's love, it changes everything. I always tell people, I said, the longest distance in the world is a knowledge about God and a love for God. But when Christ becomes real, he goes from your head to your heart. And it's that love of Christ, that forgiveness of sins, that salvation that changes everything. So at the end of the service, we always provide an opportunity. Because a lot of people have been in church their whole entire life. They've known God. They've been Sunday school teachers, but they've known him here. But they've never experienced that life transformation, true salvation experience. So we want to challenge you uh, to really radically commit your life to Christ. So um, as we go forward, <clears throat> today's message is love and action. True love forces us to change the way we live. And that comes out of a personal relationship, not knowledge, personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus was one time asked, what is the great commandment? Matthew 22, verse 37, Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. So the first commandment, if you narrowed the gospel down, is love God with everything within you. The second thing is is this. And the second is like it. It says, love your neighbor as you love yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. In other words, now, the second commandment is love your neighbor as you love yourself. See? But you'll never have a an ability to love others until you have a healthy self-love. Now, a healthy self-love is a love that is when you know that you're a, a rotten person and God loved you in spite of it, and you get a revelation of his love, his acceptance, his forgiveness, and you receive that free gift of eternal life, then his love comes into our hearts. And what happens is the, the, the verse is a, a, a love of self. A love of self is you think the world evolves around me. It exists to serve me. That's not a good, that's called self-love. That's an infatuation when you think everything is there to serve you. Have you met any people who are just selfish like that? They think the world belongs. See, but when Christ comes into you, his love gives you a revelation What happens is for the first time, you begin to know that it doesn't matter where you came from, what was done to you. You're able to release and forgive. There's this healthy. And what happens is God's love, it's like like a, a fountain that overflows, and it forces you to love others in spite of who they are. Because you remember how how far you've come. You think, how could I be worse than them? But at the heart of sin is deception. And God's love forces us to love people that are unlovely. See, true. one of the things we're going to cover today is that when a person's truly born again, 
it changes us from the inside out, and it causes us to love people that are really difficult to be around. How many of you have some people that are difficult to be around? Love in action. First John chapter 3, I'm going to read verses 11 through 24, today's section. I hope to finish it, but if not, we'll get as far as we can. Amen? I've never been known to go long in sermons. I need to repent right now. All right. For this is the message which we have heard from the beginning. That means Old Testament, New Testament, the beginning of Jesus' message. It's the central theme of the, of the gospel. This is the message we have heard from the beginning that we should love one another. Not as Cain, who was of the evil one and slew his brother. For what reason did he slay him? Because his deeds were evil. His heart was evil. And his brothers were righteous. And because his brother's actions were righteous, his heart was righteous. He had the right attitude. Verse 13. Do not be surprised, brethren, if the world hates you. If you're going to live for God, the world's going to hate you. Why? It's because you're going to do things with the right reason for the right motives. We know that we have passed out of death into life. I want you to kind of watch that. That means the old man, the sinful man. Because we love the brethren. One of the evidence of change is we love the brethren. He who does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. Ooh, that's pretty hardcore. You know that no murderer has eternal life in him, abiding in him. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has the world's goods... And sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him. How does the love of God abide in him? In other words, when we have a capacity to do good and we don't do it, God says, is the love of God really abiding in your heart? Little children, that's you and me, let us not love with word or with tongue only, but in deed and in truth. And we'll highlight those two. We know by this that we are of the truth, by this, that we love other people. We know this, by that we are of the truth and will assure our hearts before him. And whatever our hearts condemn us, for God is greater than our love and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do the things that are pleasing in his sight. This is his commandment, that we believe in the name of the Son of Jesus Christ, and we love one another just as he commanded us. The one who keeps his commandments abides in him, and we in him. We know that by that, that he abides in us, by the Spirit he has given us. Now let's look at some things I want you to catch out of that section of Scripture. Verse 11 says, we are called to love others. Verse 12, we're not to allow Envy, unforgiveness, hatred, prejudice, envy, and jealousy to consume our hearts like Cain. Verse 13, do not, don't uh, be surprised if when you walk with God and you live out your Christian faith that you'll be persecuted for walking righteously. Not just in the world, but among your own family. Evidence of salvation that Christ truly is in your life is that you have a love for God. And you have a love for other people. True love always requires action. The last thing is 
We are called to love and obey God and love others as ourselves. 1 John chapter 3, beginning with verse 11. For this is the message which you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. The reason the creation of man, the reason God rescued Adam and Eve, is because of the love of humanity. God says we're to love one another all through the Old Testament, all through the New Testament. But how is it that we, we, we read and sometimes we just know the law versus the love? All right? Now, <clears throat> I am not, there's a reason why I'm never asked to sing on the worship team. Okay? Uh, I remember growing up in a particular church. They had a choir. The choir faced this way. One time, I grew up Catholic uh, and the nun that led the choir said, now, Randy, we're going to have a student um, student conference where we all, all the churches in the city are going to have a kind of a little competition. And he says, now, you need to know that when we go here, you just move your lips and don't say anything. I gave up the choir. How many of you know God says make a joyful noise? So I am going to attempt a song, and you're going to love it. All right. How many of you remember this song growing up? You got to be a little bit older. I was surprised. I grew up with this. I thought everybody knew this. For we are one. We are one in the Spirit. We are one in the Lord. We are one in the Spirit. We are one in the Lord. And we pray all unity will one day be restored. And they'll know we are Christians by our love. By our love, yes, they'll know we are Christians by our love. Like I said, there's a reason I was not in the choir. That was not my gift. God's always provided abundant people. Now, the early church... Became they, they, First of all, they were called followers of Jesus. But it wasn't until the church in Antioch, Antioch was a multicultural city, Jews, Greeks, and what happened is there's these Jews and the Greeks and these different nationalities, and what happened is these people were exposed to the gospel. And so this new group, this religious group, they, were, they demonstrated something. Persecution by the Romans began to be an epic martyrdom among many Christians, and they saw Christians laying their lives down for one another. They saw they laying their lives down for the enemies that were persecuting them. They saw the love, and after a while, these people were so enamored by these little Christ followers, they first started calling them Christians, little Jesus followers, because of the love of Christ in them. So the word Christianity in its true definition is not religion, but it's love and action because of what Jesus Christ did in the hearts of men. Men from different nationalities, different races, and they break in that stronghold. John 13, this is a cross-reference. All through the Tetanus, we're in First John, this is John chapter 13. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have a love for one another. In other words, people need to know that we're Christians. One of the best ways that people need to know we're Christian is by our actions. It's attributed to St. Francis of Assisi that 
he came up with this statement. It said, share the gospel at all times, and when necessary, use words. In other words, people should know we are Christians first by the way we live, by the way we treat people. We treat people with dignity and respect. doesn't mean that we compromise the truth. Because there's a real confusion about what is love. Love is God loves us unconditionally and accepts us. But how many of you know when God loves you, he never leaves you where you are? It's like this at Grace Church. We tell people, how many of you have ever gone fishing? And everybody goes, oh, I've probably gone fishing. How many of you have cleaned a fish before you catch them? You go, what? Have you, how many of you have ever cleaned a fish before you catch them? Well, it's like this. We're called to be fishers of men. God catches them, and then what he does is he cleans them up. People come to Grace Church all the time in all kinds of stuff, and we're going to love them. But see, when a person gets a revelation of the love of Christ, salvation goes from their head to their heart, then what happens is God changes them from the inside. He cleans them up. He never leaves them where they are. The truth is not compromised. As leaders in the, in the kingdom of God, We're called to make a difference. We're called to fill the city with Jesus. That means we have to have grace and truth. Loving people is not just a big marshmallow. We're called to love people, and we're not sitting there pointing our fingers, but sometimes it's like this. Sometimes you need to, not in a public way or a bad way, you need to pull somebody aside and say, hey, I can't continue to let you do that. That behavior is destroying people's lives. It's not acceptable. See, love is unconditional, but God never leaves us where he finds us. He always has a greater plan. And we need to be able to make a distinction between love and truth. John chapter 1, verse 17, Jesus came in the fullness of grace and truth. He never gave up truth. He never gave up righteousness. He never gave gave up his moral standards. But he conveyed the same truth in love. And the love and the truth combined changed the world. And it changes you and I. Hatred because of righteousness. If you're a believer in Jesus, you walk righteously. You do the right things for the right reason. It's going to cause trouble. 1 John chapter 3, verses 12 and 13. Not as Cain, who was of the evil one and slew his brother. For what reason did he slay him? Because his deeds were evil. His brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, brethren, if the world hates you. Now, Cain and Abel were the two, two first children of Adam and Eve. They were told to walk righteously with God, raised in God's moral absolutes. Cain had religion. He was coming to church, if we could, out of a knowledge of God. But his heart had never been changed. And it said that he was of the evil one. In other words, he listened to the lies of the evil one. He went through religious practice but his heart was still deceptive, hadn't been changed. Abel, on the other side, had a true love relationship with God. And when God asked both of them to offer sacrifice, Cain did just half of what was expected of him. Not out of obedience, just out of drudgery. And so Abel offered a righteous sacrifice, and Abel walked a righteous life. And because of Abel's behavior... It made Cain envious and jealous. And so evil and hatred and pride and prejudice were a dominant part of Cain's life. And so what he did, he rose up and he killed his brother. 
See, there's a little bit of hatred in all of our hearts, and we have to deal with it. Genesis 4, 6 and 7, when God saw Cain at the beginning, and we see in Genesis, God knew what was in Cain's heart. And this is what God spoke to Cain. Verse Genesis 4, 6 and 7, Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, you will be accepted. But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. The heart is desperately wicked above all evil. God's love comes in. Sin is crouching at your door. How many of you know that sin of hatred, bigotry, envy, jealousy, racism is sitting at the heart right at the edge? And it's just looking. And if you don't learn to overcome it and master it, it will master you. And you'll end up doing things for the wrong reason. You'll end up rejecting God and switch back to living in the tree of knowledge of good and evil versus the life of Christ. It's a war that you have to fight. Pass from life to death. What happens when the knowledge of God goes to your heart? Evidence of salvation. 1 John three fourteen. We know that we have passed out of death into life. Death meaning the old man, the sinful nature that controlled us, that's warring against you. Because we love the brethren. He who does not love abides in death. One of the evidences that you truly know God and love God is God begins to change your heart. And you start loving other people, not just yourself. See, we all know the song written by John Newton. John Newton was a slave trader taking thousands of of Africans from Africa all over the continent, bringing them, capturing them, bringing them into slavery, treating them ruthlessly. Many of them died in transport. They were they were just sanitary conditions. The life expectancy once you got on a ship going across the seas was very, very, chance of you living was very limited. But it, during this thing, this wretched man got a revelation of a few people. He saw the love of God in some of the people he was mistreating. He saw the love of God in some of the men that came aboard his ship. And he says, why are you different? Even when he mistreated them, abused them. And then the revelation of who Jesus was came into his heart. And he he fell in love with Jesus. And the love of Jesus changed his heart to such a degree that the people that he was treating so ruthlessly, he fell in love with and became one of their greatest advocates. And he wrote the song, Amazing Grace. I was once lost, but now I'm found. What a wretch. But God's grace rescued me, and the people I despised are the people that I now love. That's a true evidence of salvation, is when God changes the hearts of men, and that we're able to love those that are unlovely. Some of the most unloving people you will ever meet in your life reside in your own home in your own family. And you have an opportunity as a believer in Jesus is to love them in spite of. I mean, you know, that's a pretty daunting task. True love compels us to live differently. Evidence of salvation. 
John 5, 24, cross-reference, and also John 24. It says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in me who sent me has eternal life. And he who ha- does not come into, will, will, and will not come into judgment, but has passed out of death into life. It's, it's great to know about God, but God doesn't want you to know about him. He wants to know you to know him in a personal relations, head to the heart. He has crossed over from death to life. First John 3.14, we know we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. Evidence. Verse 15, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life in him, abiding in him. In other words, you can't call yourself a Christian and continue to hate people that are different from you. God requires change. You know, Grace Church, for many years, we God called us here to start a church. There were things that God spoke to me in the very beginning, back in June of 1988. God says, I've called you to take the city. We use the word fill the city now with Jesus. And there were a couple things that were in that, the four things that I knew. God says, I want you to fill the city with Jesus. I called you to be a house of prayer, for a center of praise and worship. That means we're not just to sing songs about Jesus. We're to experience worship that goes to God that makes him happy, not just us happy. And then we're called to be a house of prayer for all nations. Now, you can just hear the word prayer or you can hear the prayer for all nations. The word nations is ethnos. It means people groups, diversity group, racial groups. And the last one is raising up an army of fully devoted followers of Jesus. See, our church didn't grow past 100 people for 10 years. We did the 50, 75, 90. I was working two, two jobs, supervisor at UPS, starting the church, uh, going to Bible college for 13 years, two jobs. And I, I just got to the place. I said, God, I'm exhausted. I can't continue to do this. And God says, Randy, I didn't call you to start a church. I called you to fill the city with Jesus. I said, Lord, what does that mean? And God just began to take me on a journey, first of all, how to do church, raise up people, not just one or two people do ministry. Second thing that he began to show me was this. He says, Randy, I've called you to be a house of prayer for all nation. In Moore County, the church was Baptist, Methodist, Presbyterian, black church, white church, the most racially divided hour of the week. The biggest proponents of racism was the church itself. And God says, Randy, I've called you to be a house of prayer for all nations. You need to break that because it's a dominant controlling spiritual force over this community. So we got all these people. The Baptists never talked to the Methodists or the Presbyterians or the Charismatics or the Pentecostal. We were all called ourselves Jesus followers, but we never got along. Not that we ever got, didn't get along. We just didn't have anything to do with each other. So what we did is we started getting together and praying. First thing we did is we said, guys, this racism and the denominational racism needs to stop. So we repented of the divisiveness in the body of Christ. We repented of the black and the white church. Guys, God says, Randy, this church is called to break that. It's called to be a house of prayer for all nations. And we repented. Now, we had our church even then was a multi-ethnic church, not like it is today. But, guys, there was, there's an, one of our core absolutes is we're going to be a house of prayer for all nations. And it's not going to reside in this church. So we have white, black, Laotian, Korean, Chinese, Mexican, you name it, we've got it. Why? Because when we go to heaven, God's not going to go ask what church you attended. 
what color you were, but did you know Jesus not in your head, but in your heart? And true love of Jesus forces you to be a lover of all people, to be able to lover of different races and denominations. And we're going to have to fight it. You know why? It's because the seed of that is always abiding right at the edge of our hearts, and we have to learn to master it. You look at our staff. Not only do we do it in a church, our staff, you can look at what God's told us to be and do. We're a multi-ethnic, multi-cultured, diverse group of people, but we love Jesus. Amen. God's called us to love people, not to hate people. You have heard it said, Matthew chapter 5, the ancients were told, you shall not commit murder. Whoever commits murder shall be liable to the courts. See, Jesus didn't just say killing people. Guys, he says murder is an attitude of the heart if it's like Cain. But I say to you, everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. And whoever says to his brother, you good for nothing, shall be guilty before the Supreme Court. And whoever says you fool shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery pits of hell. Ooh, God, you're kind of like... Matthew, Matthew six fourteen through 15. For if you forgive others their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, then your Father will not forgive you. How many of you know the key to you experiencing God's love is receiving God's forgiveness, but it's giving God's forgiveness and going against the seed of hatred and envy, of prejudice and, and bigotry. You have to fight it in your hearts. And the way you fight it is by falling in love with Jesus. So much that the love of God flows in, that it flows out, and it changes the way you live and treat people. We need to be loving. I teach my children when they were growing up as kids. We need to be loving and kind in all that we say and do. We need to be loving and kind in all that we say and do, the way we treat people. I remember when I was a supervisor at UPS, we have a good number of people that work at UPS. UPS, I'd say the Army was rough, but UPS uh, did not always treat people the best. I remember I had to fire several people. As a supervisor, I remember one guy telling me, he says, Randy, I know I need to get fired. I've been written up. I've broken the rules. He says, but if there was anybody that was going to fire me because I deserve to get fired, I'm glad it's you. Why? It's because you can still do the right thing. And you need to do the right thing. You need to do the truth. You need to follow the rules. But you can do it in love and respect. Treat people with dignity and respect. People need to know we're Christians, not because we say we are. Again, I remember one of my supervisors at UPS. I'd worked with him for many years. One of the most vulgar, raunchy, reprobate people I said. And, I, and he was going through some, some medical problems, some anxiety problems. His marriage was falling apart. Duh. Okay. And I said, well, you ought to go to church. And then he, he gave me that little finger of fellowship that is inappropriate. And says, I'm a deacon in my church. I had met, been working with this guy every day for years on end. And I'm going, I'm going. I mean, you know, you can go to church, but church doesn't always follow you down. 
lay down our lives for our brothers. Love in action. 1 John 3.16, For we know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. In other words, love requires that you love in spite, not just yourself, not just think about yourself, but love requires you getting out of your comfort zone and loving people even when they don't deserve it, laying down. Husbands, how many of you know the most difficult person you're ever going to have to love is the woman that lays in the bed beside you? Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and laid his life down for it. Just like Christ did. How many of you know we didn't deserve it? Sometimes they don't deserve it, but we get to love them in spite of it. Amen? And it will be the greatest privilege of your life. How many of you have children? Some days moms, man, moms love kids. How many of you know some days mom hate those kids? What keeps you from choking them is the love of God. Right? They, they're, they're at times they need grace and they need the love, they need the acceptance. But folks, if you just love your kids and you don't correct your kids and they know the truth, they will be hellions who think they deserve everything and get whatever they want. Right? They need grace and truth. How many of you know Jesus loves you enough? It says God disciplines those. those. One of the evidence of your salvation, you used to get away with stuff. God says, no more, buddy. He loves you enough to not let you do it. Amen? Evidence of salvation is a love for others. And you know God disciplines you, not not in anger, not that he rejects you, because he loves you. How many of you can say, God, thank you that you love me, because I know you just whacked me? I always have to throw a few stories. One time my little daughter, Rebecca Ryan Peterson's wife, she was a little girl. She went over to some friends. They had the, over with the kids, and she came back and says, says uh, Daddy, I don't think those parents love their kids. I said, why? She says, because they never spank them. Now, what did my little girl, little Rebecca, she knew that when I disciplined her, when I corrected her, when I spanked her, it was done in love, it was done for the right reason, and she saw it as an act of love, not a brutality. She says, Daddy, her parents need to spank those kids. They must not love them because their behavior was unacceptable. Does that make sense? You need great, you need truth and grace. You need the love and truth combined. Lay down our lives. John 15, my command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than lay down his life for his friends. That's where true Christianity kicks in. First John 3:17. But whoever has the world's good and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him does not love. Does How does the love of God abide in him? In other words, if you see somebody in need and you don't do something to help, God says you need to have an attitude check. Verse 18, little children, let us not love in word or tongue only. In other words, we can say we love, but true love does things in deed and in truth. It means it, it requires action, and sometimes it needs truth. Truth is speaking if some guy who's talking in a small group too much, dominating the thing because he thinks the world exists for him, because he's hurt. Wounded people wound people. Healthy people heal people. See, healthy people are people who were once wounded, who fall in love with Jesus, God heals their hurts, and then they start loving other people. Get in, get healthy, get going. All right? So sometimes you need to pull that side, a person not in the meeting, not to embarrass, not to shame, and say, hey, buddy, 
you just got to stop talking because you're really you're you're hurting other people. You're it's not you're dominating the crowd. How many of you? Sometimes we need to speak the truth to our family. How many of you know the hardest person to speak the truth to is you? Do you receive correction well, and do you give correction in love? One's a scalpel that can do surgery. The other is a battle axe that's dull and it breaks rather than brings healing. The truth can be ministered in love, with respect and dignity, or it can be a battle axe that beats people to hell, makes them condemned and shamed. God never shames us, ever. He corrects us. He convicts us. Assuring our troubled hearts. 1 John three nineteen through 20. We know by this that we are of the truth and will assure our hearts before him. And whatever our hearts condemn us, for God is greater than our hearts and knows all things. Now, I'm going to close with this just because of time. See, what is the difference between condemnation and conviction? I want you to repeat these words. Condemnation is a gift from Satan. Condemnation is a gift from Satan. Conviction is a gift from God. Conviction is a gift from God. So what's the difference between condemnation and conviction? Condemnation is this. When I've done something wrong, has anybody here ever done something wrong? Conviction comes in and says, I've done something wrong. And you go, oh, God, forgive me. And God says, I I forgive you. What condemnation, the gift from Satan is, is this. You're no good. You're no worthy. You're not worthy. You've done it again. You've sinned again. God can't love you. God can't forgive you. God can't accept you. How many of you have ever heard condemnation? Romans 12, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No, not any. It's a gift from Satan. Condemnation. But at the same time, make sure you know that conviction is the moral compass that keeps you in right relationship with God and right relationship with other people. 1 Timothy 1.19 says that many have shipwrecked their faith because their faith is defiled and an unclean conscience. Their faith has been defiled, shipwrecked, because of an unclean conscience. So what is a clean conscience? Everybody do this. I know it's simple. Just pull out the little gun here. All right? So what a clean conscience is, it's pointing upward. I have conviction because I've done something wrong. God convicts me. And I said, God, would you forgive me of my sin? So it's okay with God. Then what happens is other people. Sometimes how many of you sinned against somebody else? Your spouse, your siblings, your boss. It's an attitude. You've done something wrong. It says, when you sin, Matthew chapter 5, stop what you're doing and go and get it right. Ask for forgiveness. How many of you know sometimes people sin against you? You know what the scripture says? If they've done something wrong, you go to them and in truth, speaking the truth in love, you get a right relationship. Hey, I don't know if you did this. So the key to a right relationship is if you sin, you go. If they sin, you go. Whose responsibility it is? See? And so what happens when we have a clean conscience, right with God, right with man, it says, whatever you ask in my name, I'm going to do it because you're asking for the right thing, for the right reason, for the right motive, and you're right with God and you're right with man. You want to see God's power move in your life? You want people see the love of God in your life? 
maintain a right relationship. Ultimately, love requires action. God hates racism. God hates prejudice. It's always sitting at the door of our heart, and you have to master it. You have to love in spite of. How are we going to fill the city with Jesus? Is we're going to live lives out in the public. We're going to boldly believe that every day that we go to work, every day we go to school, in our marriages with our families, your greatest persecution will probably happen among your own family. You know, when I came to Christ, again, we were in church. Christ came into my heart. And I remember my mom telling me one time, she said, Randy, I don't want to hear the name of Jesus ever again. I saw my family break and dismantle. Nobody was believers. I ended up having one sister who became a believer. God told me that my mom would come to Christ. Forty years, she had never come to Christ. I was 19. I'm 60 today, maybe 45 years. She was literally on deathbed. Diabetes, emphysema, diverticulitis, you name the list. The doctor pulled my mom into the, to, well, she was in the hospital, couldn't talk, couldn't hardly, she was on life support. They called in the family and they said, my mom's name is Wilma, said, Wilma, the wheels on the bus are falling off. Everything is broken. So we're all there. My mom says, could you all leave? I want to give my life to Jesus. She had to write it. She couldn't speak it. She asked everybody to leave. After 45 years, I held on to that scripture. Acts 16:31. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You'll be saved in your whole household. For a lot of my family, they, they, they liked that I was a pastor, but they despised the way that I lived because it brought conviction. Does that make sense? My mom, in front of my family, had him leave. I prayed with my mother to receive Jesus. Guys, she was expected to not live within the hour the next day. God literally raised her from the dead. And five years later, four years later, she's walking with Jesus. She, God, just, I don't know how, but you guys, that's kind of the miracle thing. Now, I know this is a message where we have to deal with some issues in our lives. Because that hatred's always sitting there, that unforgiveness, that envy, that jealousy. But guys, we're called to fill the city with Jesus. And when we get to heaven, God says, you'll know them by their love. There are many people who are going to come to Christ. The ones that give you the most difficult time today are the ones that are watching Jesus in you. And they're punching every button to see if you'll react rather than respond in love. Thank you for listening to this message from Cornerstone Community Church. We are located in Lynchburg, Virginia at 525 Old Graves Mill Road. You can find us online at cornerstonelynchburg.com. Contact us by email, cornerstonecom at comcast.net. Or call us at 434-847-4796. We pray the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace.